One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, what's going on? First two weeks in the books. How are we feeling? I feel like time's already flying by. I know, isn't it always how it goes? It's like we're all amped for the season to start, and then before you know it, like it's a month, and then it's like two months, and it just keeps flying by. Yeah, it was, totally. It was like last night. I was like, really, we're like prepping for week three podcast of this already. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Lex and I were talking a little bit. Jess, how'd you do last this past week? Week two, any better than week one? Um, still not great on the main slate, but playing the other slates helps. Like playing the afternoon slate. Um, I don't know if it's just cause I'm West coast. Like those are the teams I kind of know a little better, like NFC West teams and stuff like that. So it's kind of same thing when I play NHL, I like, I do better on the late slate because it's all the West coast teams. So I'm, I'm thinking I might shift more towards <laughs> afternoon slate play. Yeah. Well, I think it's also an interesting way to hedge a little bit too, just cause I kind of did that a little bit this weekend. <laughs> Didn't work out for me because neither thing went well. Uh, but it is a good way. Like I wanted exposure to some of the, you know, one or two of the games in one slate, but then I wanted to be able to build differently in another space. So yeah, good, good way to play it. And I think always good to go towards our strengths, but here we are moving into week three. Uh, hopefully that we, and all of you listening will be able to have an awesome week. So today we are going to be looking at three games as we usually do. And those games are Tampa Bay at Los Angeles Rams, Atlanta at New York Giants, and Seattle at Minnesota. So we figured pay a little homage to JM's uh, OG A Week in Witch column that he wrote for Roto Grinders in the sense that last week on the first peak pod, it was a week in which we asked, what is the field overreacting to in week one? Moving into week three, this is a week in which we ask, who is this team really? So that's kind of the lens we're going to be looking at these games through to hopefully help suss out some things that will help you in your play this week. Diving in, we'll start with the game that is going to be not really overlooked in the Buccaneers versus the Rams. It's not going to be overlooked and holds the least identity questions, so to speak, of our three games that we'll be talking about. But this is a game in which we have the defending Bucks looking to be the same team that we came to know in last year's championship run, heading to L.A. to take on a team with a different feel behind Stafford's stronger arm and without their promising young running back in Cam Akers and a handful of different pieces on defense. 
So last year's matchup was a shootout in respect to the passing attempts. Lex pulling that from uh, what you shared. Goff had 51 attempts, Brady had 48, but it resulted in a final score of only 27-24 with the Rams pulling it out. So should we expect something different this year or more of the same? And we're going to start this by looking at Tampa Bay on offense versus the Rams defense. Lex, one of the things that I noticed from your notes, Tampa Bay is nine straight 30 point games, which is just wild. And the Rams were actually one of the last teams to hold them to less than 30. So just kind of from like a high level uh, Tampa Bay offense versus the Rams defense, how are we feeling? I think that, Tampa Bay is definitely in a better spot this year, just, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Rams losing Staley and a couple other defensive backs. So I don't think they're quite in the same category as they were last year, per se. Um, I still expect Tampa to throw a lot. Um, the Rams have done at least a pretty solid job in run defense. And it's just kind of, it's not really the identity of this Tampa offense to just hand it to Ronald Jones and Fournette a bunch of times. Um, Brady, He's got all these weapons. Um, AB is questionable with the COVID, but he still might play. That gives them a lot of areas to attack the Rams through the air. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, nine straight 30-point games. They've been Brady's averaging three touchdowns a game in the ever since that New Orleans primetime game. So they've just been on fire, kind of. I mean, it's just so hard to stop. Who, you know, who do you who do you defend, you know, when you have, you know, Evans got Gronk, Godwin, AB, it's it's just kind of ridiculous. So I think that this will be the toughest matchup that Brady's faced. He's kind of faced two somewhat cupcake, you know, pass defenses in uh, Dallas and Atlanta. So this will definitely be a step up from those. Um, so maybe efficiency-wise takes a hit, but I still expect both teams to carry pretty high pass rates in this game. I mean, last year, I think it was like 138 plays were ran in the game. So it could be somewhere in that neighborhood, honestly, especially now that they've got Stafford on the other side, you know, competing. Yeah, definitely. Jess, anything that you're seeing or thinking uh, just kind of from this yeah, high level of art, can we expect Tampa Bay to put up similar points? And yeah, is that what we're, we're feeling here? Uh, maybe, uh, I kind of feel like maybe this one might be a little high on the total, uh, Tampa Bay is coming out West. You got the Rams at home Rams were really good versus the past last year. I was kind of looking at DVOA between the last two years and the Rams have the seventh best decrease from 2021 to 2020, which when they were already pretty good, the, that that's pretty solid to do. Um, and then they have the fourth worst increase in rushing DVOA. So what's interesting is Tampa Bay style is aggressive passing. Uh, they're just going to keep their foot on the gas. That's going to push LA into more plays. LA may not be able to run if they don't have Henderson or depending on how effective Michelle is. Um, I kind of think Tampa Bay might actually try to run a little bit because the Rams defense has actually gotten worse versus the run. And that was kind of, I wouldn't say it was a weakness last year, but that's kind of where if you could, you would want to try and attack them because throwing against Jalen Ramsey in that secondary wasn't usually very productive. Uh, another thing too, is looking at drive success rates. Um, LA is kind of 
kind of middling and they haven't really played any good offenses. They've played what Indianapolis and uh, Chicago. So for them to have allowing a drive success rate of around 70% is not great. So Tampa Bay, yeah, they could definitely do what Tampa Bay does, but I wouldn't be surprised if this game slows down a little bit, if they run a little more to take advantage of that weakness or what weakness it is. I think that kind of leads us in an interesting place from a DFS standpoint, because, you know, with the Bucks backfields feel like you're always kind of guessing at how they're going to use guys. So that feels kind of difficult. But then if we look at the receivers and even if they're keeping up that passing volume, because you've got Ramsey in there and because, you know, the Rams defense is still good overall. And we're only getting usually like good scores from these bucks receivers. Cause it's spreading out. At least to me, it's feeling kind of hard to nail down where production would be coming from, especially from a ceiling standpoint. So I don't know, Lex, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I kind of going off what Jess was saying. I do think this is a spot that is easier for them to run per, you know, maybe than pass. The only problem is you just don't really expect Fournette or Jones to garner too many carries. There's just been so much negative discourse from the coaches and the local guys surrounding like Ronald Jones and how he's been in pass protection or finding the lane or making sure he gets to the marker. So things like that. So just kind of mental errors and Fournette is only really had high level usage in the playoff games in the regular season. He's never really had more than what, I don't know, 12 attempts or something like that with Tampa. Um, maybe they give it to him more. I would just kind of view it as if you expect them to run more then just kind of be off everyone on the Tampa side. Um, kind of like we already are for the most part, just based on your playing a guessing game with the receivers. Most of the time, those receivers aren't really posting have to have it scores anyway. I think the only times that Brown and Godwin even did, it was when Evans left the game early. So they were getting like all the targets. Maybe that happens if AB's out and then you've only got Evans and Godwin to throw to. Um, but the Rams do have, you know, tough corners and Ramsey and Darius Williams. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm kind of with Jess on the side that maybe this disappoints a little bit more from Tampa or at the very least doesn't put up the kind of fantasy production that makes you feel comfortable just kind of picking one out of that whole group, um, as a big score. Uh, I think the Rams offense will be more what I'm focused on. And if you have to run it back, like maybe we can keep talking about that as we get to the Rams offense, but it, it doesn't look like a spot that there's going to be too many Tampa guys like high and, you know, in what I would be and how I would be narrowing down my player pool later in the week. Yeah, definitely feel similarly on that. I guess kind of the final question before we switch over to the other side of the ball would be Brady to Gronk is looking really good. Is that something we would potentially want to try to go back to the well with or what do we think in there? Well, the Rams are allowing nine targets per game to the tight end. And if their secondary is going to shut down, especially without a B one less good player to cover. I mean, Tampa is sort of deep at wide receiver. Their backups aren't bad either. Scotty Miller and Tyron, or is it Tyron Johnson. Um, I might be thinking the wrong guy. Tyler, but Tyler any, Johnson. Yeah. Tyler Johnson. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. Gronk's running hot though. So I, I don't know if uh, that continues, but I also don't see LA really being able to stop it unless they focus on it. Cause 
they're probably going to want to keep Godwin and Mike Evans in check. Yeah, I don't really have much more to add. We're, Gronk has been dominant the last like, three games going back to the Super Bowl. He has three straight games of two touchdowns, but I mean, that's unsustainable. That's not going to last, you know, the entire season. Um, he does have maybe an easier matchup than the wide receivers versus those corners. Um, but it's still kind of always hard to count on him. You know, how much blocking is he going to do? How many routes is he really going to run? Maybe if Brown is out, they run more 12, you know, give OJ Howard some more play time in this game. Um, so yeah, it, I don't know. It, Gronk's another one where you're still kind of throwing a, you know, a dart. He just happens to be a weaker position. So it makes it easier to stomach, you know, putting him on your roster. All right. With that, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Bucks D is obviously forcing teams to the air because they're still, you know, kind of next to impossible to run against. Stafford has been incredibly efficient so far. Uh, obviously Cooper cup sticks out as somebody who smashed last week and produced the week before as well. Lex, what are you seeing from a matchup standpoint that we should be kind of honing in on based on those things? I really like the situation for the Rams passing game in this, uh, in this matchup. Todd Bowles' Tampa defense has forced teams to the air for the last few years. It's just the run defense has been so strong. It just doesn't make sense to keep trying to stuff it up the middle. You know, when you've got Vita Vea and the rest of those guys, they've been top in run defense for the last like three straight years. Um, so Stafford has only thrown, I think, 18 and 26 times. I think I expect that to go way up in this matchup. Not only did they, you know, maybe lose Henderson, so they might have to play Michelle, like the, the matchup on top, they just, you know, leads to teams passing. And I think JM was talking about this in the edge. Maybe it was last year, year before that, where even teams that, you know, take leads for Tampa, the good thing is that they're still passing because it's just not easy to run on them. So you're kind of just getting that pass volume, even in positive game strips like that. Uh, Dak and Ryan have thrown 58 and 46 times already versus Tampa. Both guys went over 300 yards. Stafford is definitely in that group, you know, and he's looked really elite in this Rams offense so far. So I'm expecting a very high pass volume, you know, Rams, Rams game, especially compared to what we've seen in the last two weeks. Uh, I think that's really good for both those receivers. And uh, Woods is probably going a little overlooked right now, but he did still get nine targets on 30 staff or was it 30? Yeah. 30 Stafford pass attempts last week. So that's almost, you know, 30, that's almost a third of his attempts. So it's not like he's not being used. Cups just had, you know, the two big games so far. I think Higby's in a good spot. I kind of like that just entire side because I, I think we all expect Tampa to at least keep pace. You know, their offense is just too good to not put up points. Um, and then I think, like I just said, if, even if they're leading from the get-go, I still think that's, they're going to keep passing throughout the game. Yes. Thoughts to piggyback off that. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the the time of possession and both teams are right around 25 minutes. So you got a little extra time to play with. And I'm, I'm thinking that's where Tampa's passing is going to put LA into more plays because they're going to either be playing to keep up or at some point, like Lex is saying, if they're ahead, they're still going to throw. Um, they have the best net adjusted sack rate on the slate this week. And that's, I was comparing uh, this year and last year's adjusted sack rates for LA and Tampa, and they came out top on the chart. So 
I mean, Stafford's going to have time to throw. If you look at a pro football reference, he has the second most pocket time before the pressure arrives. He's got 10th most time to throw on next gen stats. So Stafford might be able to just sit back there and pick the secondary apart and where he's going to go is if you're looking at, uh, I'm looking at my target share stuff here and Tampa Bay allows the most targets per game to outside wide receivers. So this could be a good game to get Robert Woods involved. Van Jefferson might have another good game. Um, they also, Tampa gets, gets you thrown to your running backs a little bit too, which is not really something that Sony Michelle is known for, but he can do. I know new England tried to showcase it the game before they traded him. So depending on how Daryl Henderson is. And if he does play, maybe they just have Henderson in there on passing downs and let Michelle do all the, the heavy lifting and the, the running downs. But whoever plays running back for LA actually has a shot for a good amount of targets too. Yeah, it's kind of weird because Michelle was used like a decent amount as a receiver in college, but in the NFL his career high is like three receptions in a game. Um, but I think he, that ability is a little bit undervalued by the general public just because of how he's been used, you know, in new England. Uh, so I like that idea. It's de- they've definitely forced a higher pass volume to running backs just because of how hard it is to run on them. Uh, there was something I was going to mention. Oh yeah. The, the biggest problem of the Todd Bowles defense, you know, since he's come to Tampa is getting beat over the top. So I think that bodes really well for those two deep targets in van and, um, Dijon Jackson and then Woods as well. I mean, all the receivers really, it, it helps, but those guys, especially who are known for, you know, beating guys over the top. So I, I like that. And then Higby too, they've Tampa struggled a bit versus tight ends for the last few years with bowls as well. Uh, Higby has still ran a route on 50 of 59 Stafford drop back. So he's still involved even with that low one target in week two. So I like that spot for him. I think, yeah, I, I don't really know if I have any other thoughts other than just I, I really like the Rams side of the ball to throw kind of throughout this game. I think that Tampa's defense or another thing I saw here, this is the other thing that I had. Sorry to ramble, but I forget who tweeted it, but Brady and Stafford, I think, are like two of the least pressured quarterbacks so far through the first two weeks. So not only do you have like good matchups for you know that pass game, neither quarterback, like Jess was just saying, is really getting pressured. So I think that you know, bodes well for the efficiency side of things as well. Yeah. Jess, do you happen to have the, uh, target percentage up for the Rams receivers? Like, do you know what that is? I know you said, cause cup is over 30%, right. And then I think woods is like just under 30, but I was just curious. It's like what those ancillary pieces, if, if you had that, I don't actually have that up in front of me right now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. How, I, how much has Van Jefferson, like what's the, do we know off the top of our heads, like Van Jefferson and Deshaun Jackson, what their snap rates have been? I don't have that in the matchups this week. I just, okay. I just didn't do it for like main slate. I think, I mean, those guys are probably, I don't know what their prices are. So maybe there's interest there, but I mean, definitely more so for like the showdowns part of that game. Um, I just think even if they hit a deep ball, that is more hurting the other guys versus, you know, helping them, be put on a tournament winning roster. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know if those guys were viable in terms of uh, like air yards that just haven't converted or anything yet. Jess, what are you going to say? Sure. Uh, Van Jefferson had 54 snaps last week, 45 of them out wide. And in just a second, I'll have Deshaun Jackson. 
Deshaun Jackson had three snaps last week. Okay. So Van is definitely the guy as far as who they're going to deep, but uh, they can unleash Deshaun Jackson at any time too. Yeah. Uh, so I got the air yards. Van, Van Jefferson has um, the second most air yards just ahead of Woods. Cup with the most. Yeah. Jackson has like almost nothing like Justice was saying. Okay. I think, I think that could just be interesting because I think initially, you know, like immediately I kind of like Robert Woods this week because yeah, he's obviously been used and, you know, people have their recency bias of cup, but potentially even in even a better, you know, cause I think a lot of people will have that mindset of like, Oh, I'm like, you know, I'm catching people in recency bias and like shifting to woods. Whereas Van Jefferson might even be going a little bit more overlooked. And if he does hit for one of those big plays, um, I'm again, I haven't looked at pricing yet, but I'm assuming he's quite a bit less than Woods is. Yeah. And I'll say like, it's not like what happened last year. I mean, that's obviously what's going to happen this year, but I think cup and woods each had like 12 catches last year for 130 plus yards. So they both went nuts in that game last year. And that was with Goff. You've got Stafford now. Um, we, the Tampa Bay defense is still being eviscerated by, you know, elite receivers like uh, Cooper in week one and lamb in week one. Um, they slowed down Atlanta a little bit, but the same, it's the same pretty much defense as last year. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think that both of those guys are really interesting for sure with Stafford. Cool. All right. Well, I feel like we gave the people a good amount to chew on for this game. Uh, any other final thoughts before we move on? Good to go. All right. Moving on to Seattle, Minnesota. Interesting spot here in which these teams have shown us a bit about who they are, but have had some outliers within that, which also kind of happened to line up with what the other team is doing well or what they've shown. So we've got the Vikings who have mostly been what we've expected on offense, concentrated and methodical uh, with a mix of KJ Osborne in place of Irv Smith in the tight end situation and have been strong on defense outside of allowing some splash plays. While on the other side of the ball, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are doing that very well, (laughs) those big plays and producing with extreme efficiency on low volume. While their defense seems a bit difficult to tell kind of where they are, where they're at and if they are improved or not. So why don't we jump into that Seattle offense versus the Minnesota defense? Lex, I thought this was really, you know, and we talked about this on the pod last week too, of Zimmer's defense and just the situation there and looking, looking to be strong, just like, when are they going to finally come together let up another uh, big play last week or a couple like what, you know, revisiting this, what are we thinking? Can they stay strong here? Minnesota or sorry, Seattle's obviously hitting for these splash plays. So can we expect this to change this week or not? I think my thoughts are pretty similar to last week in that, you know, jam always talks about Zimmer's defense coming together as the season goes along it might not be the week that it comes along when you have to, you know, go from Kyler to Russell Wilson. Um, but I do think that, you know, people are probably undervaluing at this point, the Minnesota defense. I think they played a lot better than people expected. They've just kind of got killed on those, you know, crazy plays that people that only guys like Kyler can make um, when they just kind of, the defense isn't able to keep up with all the 
running and scrambling around and then just chucking it on a broken play. So I think that skews the numbers a bit. I think they've been stronger in that. But then again, like we just said, Russell Wilson is kind of the exact guy who can also take advantage of that. They've he's already six of 11 for 304 yards, four touchdowns on 20 plus yard passes. So he's been super efficient on low volume, just kind of these quick game passes and then the deep shots. Um, and they've worked versus Tennessee and who's uh, Indianapolis. It might work again on Minnesota. They've gotten beat deep a couple of times. Um, but I do think you are, like we said last week with Seattle, they're just always relying on hyper efficiency. So on the week that that doesn't hit, you're still, you're going to be left with really low volume guys. Uh, so they need those deep, deep completions, deep touchdowns. It's hard to know much more. I think like it's, it's still so early with Zimmer's defense. I, I mean, I can only say what I've seen and which is that their defense is performing better than expected, but still kind of getting killed by some of these big splash plays. Um, I think it still sets up as a good spot for Seattle. I think kind of like last week with Seattle and Tennessee, we talked about both teams ideally want to control the ball on the ground. They just want to take the lead and then just hammer it, you know, as much as they can. It's kind of the same thing with Minnesota. They're, they they would like to use Dalvin, you know, in the same way that Tennessee uses Henry, just kind of keep over and over, which they try to do versus Arizona, but then Arizona just kind of kept staying in the game until Minnesota was, you know, forced to open it back up through the air. So I don't know. I think, like I said last week, you know, if you're expecting this game to be high scoring in a way to attack for fantasy, you're expecting, you know, efficient scoring drives, like the splash plays that we saw last week in that Seattle, Tennessee game, because neither team is going to be opening up, you know, their playbook and, you know, chucking it all over the field unless they either have to, or if they're, those plays work almost every time, you know, they're getting, you know, high efficiency out of them. Yeah. Jess, I guess I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Uh, will the, efficiency continue versus the Minnesota defense? Will they be able to hit on some of these splash plays? It's possible. Um, Minnesota is playing a little more cover one than they were last year. So they're, they're kind of letting Peterson and Breland just kind of man up. So whoever lines up against Breland may be able to have a good game. Uh, I was just looking at the target shares and at Lockett and Metcalf both have 16. It's just Lockett's had those two huge plays in back-to-back weeks that have really buoyed his, his fantasy scoring. Uh, Minnesota does allow a lot of points and they're second most to outside wide receivers. So efficiency can definitely hit, but like Lex was saying that both of these teams, like if they had their choice, they just, they're going to want to turn around and hand the ball off and try and get this game to the fourth quarter as fast as possible and then see who wins from there. So it's going to take one of these two offensive coordinators to, try and sneak some plays in early, get a lead early so that they can sit back and run the ball. But it, this one could disappoint a little bit. I think as far as it's got a 55 and a half total, it might not get there. Yeah. It feels like a kind of difficult game to pick pieces from. It feels like you kind of either got to go all in on it or just let it be. Yeah. Like you're, you're basically choosing like what you guys are talking about here, it's shooting out and both teams are having to put up points for some reason. Otherwise they're, they're just not going to get there in the way that they would like to run the game. The the only thing that I kind of noticed is Metcalf's intended air yards are uh, 
decently lower. Lex, you had Lockett's at 17.6 and Metcalf's at 10.8. Obviously, Metcalf hasn't produced a bunch yet. So I'm always looking at those guys to play because, you know, the field's just quite, you know, they haven't had them seen that big like box score from these guys. So I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that, if that's something that we should be concerned about, or if it's just kind of like a variance thing at this point. Uh, I think, yeah, through two weeks, I wouldn't be too concerned. I just think it's like Jess said, Lockett's been the one to connect on those. It is like a little weird. Eight of Metcalf's 10 catches so far have come, you know, on a target short of 10 yards. So I guess in a good way, you know, they're trying to use him in different ways than maybe before, but at the same time, he hasn't produced the scores that we were, you know, accustomed to last year. But again, it's only been two games. They've still had, you know, the same success. It's just all come through Lockett so far. Um, I'll say too, Minnesota had the only, you know, score that they've allowed to a wide receiver, despite, you know, all the splash plays that the only score that you've really wanted on your roster was Rondale last week and 77 of his 114 yards, that big touchdown play came on one of the most ridiculous Kyler scrambles that you'll see, you know, it wasn't like a normal play and it's not that Russ can't make those, you know, and have one to lock it like that, but it is something to keep in mind. Like even, even with the scoring they've allowed, none of these guys have really popped off except for that, you know, that one crazy play. Yeah. So I guess to finish off this side of the ball, Chris Carson, everybody who wanted to play him last week and I ended up doing it. I uh, just felt like it was a good spot and given his red zone role and everything, but do you think that's going to be the case this week? Should we be targeting him? What are we thinking there? Because Minnesota hasn't been great against running back so far. Jess thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, they haven't been great, but they haven't been bad. Uh, they brought in Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce to plug up the the middle of the defense. And those are two huge guys. Uh, they're, they're really only allowing 14 points per game on the ground rushing. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot to work with with that. And Carson, I kind of said it last week too, I, I don't love rostering Carson because you, you, you're counting on a two-touchdown game. Uh, I don't know that, that's, that this is the place for that. But I don't know. I, if the field seems to be fading him because of it, then maybe – you can use them as a leverage play because people are going to want to use Seattle's passing attack against Minnesota secondary, but I don't know, even then it's kind of hard. And I would have to look at pricing too. I'm like, you haven't looked at pricing yet. I've been doing all my collecting and gathering and all that so far for the week. Yeah. I'll just say about Carson. I think I'm just more concerned in that he's just not getting that volume that we saw in 2019. He's kind of getting that volume last year where he tops out around, 15, 16, 17 attempts. Uh, he's still getting the majority of Seattle's running back touches, but he just isn't getting, you know, that, that higher volume that led to some bigger scores in the year before. So he's just not really ever putting up scores that you really need on your roster. And what, like, and like Jess just said, when you are rostering him, you're basically hoping that he scores two touchdowns. So it's a lot of kind of guesswork with him. And it's not like Minnesota has been very strong versus running backs, but it's just a, it's a tough spot. There's probably other players to, you know, with more certainty behind them. I think Jam always talks about, he likes to grab more certainty at running back, especially. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird spot. Seattle's also on the road. You know, I think they might be favored right now, but you know, Minnesota could very easy, very easily win that game. It's a really tough environment to play in, in Minnesota. So that's something to probably keep in mind as well. 
Yeah. Chris Carson could fall into the end zone for two touchdowns and still only get you 15 points. <laughs> like last week. <laughs> um, all right. So let's flip over to the other side of the ball, Minnesota versus the Seattle defense. Uh, you know, we kind of, we talked about this last week and we kind of know this at this point, like cousins really only has ceiling in shootouts. So that's kind of like, you know, when you're going to be playing him, uh, Seattle has and showed, you know, in two weeks that they've improved a bit against receiver. We talked about the Minnesota rule. What are we thinking there? And how does KJ Osborne factor into that? Just, I'm going to throw this to you first since, uh, and I, I saw even on Twitter, JM called you out with the, the KJ Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, he's for real. Like Cousins is targeting him in in uh, important situations. He targeted him three out of seven times on the game-winning field goal drive this past week. Also three out of seven times on the game-tying field goal in week one. So there's definitely a trust factor there. And he's, he's starting to get a little bit of buzz on Twitter. I've seen some people posting stuff about him. But, I mean, he's a legit talent. He's If you look at how Tennessee attacked Seattle last week, they were going between the numbers at every, at all four levels behind the line of scrimmage, all the way to deep. And, uh, they threw for 295 yards just in, in between the numbers last week. And that's where all of their receivers will work, but Osborne's typically the slot he lines up there the most. So, and they don't, their tight ends aren't really going to get involved. So if you're looking for somebody to work the middle, it's going to be Osborne followed by Thielen and Jefferson, as far as slot rate goes. Um, he stands a chance to have another good game here. Are we worried about how his production will cut into Jefferson or Thielen? It already I think has. His, yeah, I was going to say, I think his role is definitely already dampening that three Vikings rule just from, you know, the change from last year in which they were running mostly 12, the tight ends weren't much of a factor and you're basically getting all the production through Dalvin Jefferson and Thielen. And now you're kind of adding this guy who it's not like he's going to keep them from reaching their ceiling in every game, but he's making that certainty a little bit less likely, like their chances of getting there just because they have another guy who's going to get, you know, around five targets a game potentially now. So I think it's definitely concerning in that sense. All the receivers have a really good matchup this week. Seattle still has a really uh, struggling secondary Julio's, you know, numbers could look a lot better if that touchdown hadn't been called back. So I, I still like them and you're, but you still have to, you still can really only play that passing game, you know, when you're expecting the other side to put up a lot of points, because otherwise Minnesota is just not going to throw enough. It's just, that's just not how Zimmer's ever going to operate. Like you said at the beginning, cousins is only putting up those tournament scores when the, the games turn into shootouts, like only it's never coming in games other than that. Because if he, even if he's efficient enough in a low scoring game, then he's just, they're going to stop throwing and he's not going to get to what, you know, the score that you need. Yeah. So with that said, what about Dalvin? We've got him at the for Lex from your matchup notes, fourth, most rush yards currently versus Seattle allowing the second most rush yards. Obviously they did just get smashed by Derrick Henry last week. Uh, but they also are allowing the most receiving yards to a running back by a lot. So how do we feel about Delvin in this spot? And then obviously there's a little bit of a health thing, uh, a little bit of an ankle tweak at the end of last week. Yeah. 
the the ankle part is worrisome that i mean that always will give you pause when you hear that with any guy like that especially with you know somebody we need to get 25 you know some touches in a game i think that it's also a weird spot because of the recency bias it's so hard to how do you really judge a rush events when henry does something like that because he's such a unique player i mean the thing is that dalvin is too but i mean henry can just have one of those crazy plays like he did last week that kind of fundamentally changes how you might view that defense um, when really it was just one play. Um, so I, I, I still like the spot. I mean, Dalvin, the, the amount of chunk gains they were getting versus Arizona was kind of ridiculous. I mean, they were running just over and over for large gains um, last week. So I still really like the spot. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Minnesota at home, we know they want to run the ball. Zimmer, I think had a quote today where he's like, we're Oh, and two, we need, you know, to get down in the ball, like things like that. So, you know, he's going to get um, the rush attempts. I think that Seattle allowing all that running back receiving yards, it's Dalvin isn't the most heavily used running back in the receiving game, but he certainly has the ability. They can still run some screens for him. So I, I like the spot for him. It's not like the most ideal spot ever. I, I think I probably liked last week better actually, but Seattle definitely has just shown last week that they can get run on by an elite running back like um, Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. So it's and it's a very interesting spot for sure to look at, although I, I'm definitely going to be paying attention to the ankle moves throughout the week. Thoughts on Dalvin, Jess? Yeah, I, I, he's in a smash spot. I mean, after watching what Henry did, I mean, Dalvin's not Henry, but he's he's up there as far as usage, usage goes. Uh, running style and stuff like that. You look at the targets, uh, Seattle allows the second most targets to running backs per game. That's 11 targets per game going out there. Uh, like you said, they're the most receiving yards, most receiving points per game. Uh, Cook is getting 10 out of the 17 running back targets. So he may not be a shoe in for a ton of targets. Like he may still get four five, six, something like that. But then you've got Abdullah who'll come in, they'll throw to the fullback ham. So it, I, I, I like Cook's spot in this game, especially because they are going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to control the clock. Both teams are going to try and do it. So I, I think this is a, a pretty good spot to find some certainty. Uh, you also got, if you, if you know the field's going to be heavy on Cook, you can leverage that and flip over to some passing game pieces instead. But I don't know. I think this is a, a pretty good spot for Cook this week. Yeah. And even last year, Seattle was really tough for his running backs and they came in and were, I think Dalvin had almost a hundred yards in the first half before he was injured. And then Madison ran for like a hundred yards in the second half. So they definitely have shown the ability to win this matchup versus Carroll's defense and cook. I have a stat here. He scored at least one touchdown in 24 of his 32 games since 2019. That's probably the most sure, like, you know, touchdown role in the entire NFL right now. So he's rarely going to, you know, torpedo you at some low score just because of how high, you know, highly he's used in that green zone there. And then he's also like Jess was just saying, and I was saying before, he's in a pretty good spot to explode for the game as well. Yeah. I think Dalvin's kind of the interesting piece from, you know, he's a guy you could play one off just for that certainty for that role at the running back position. So think interesting in that regard, uh, even if you are avoiding this game as a whole. With that, let's move on to our next, our final game here, which is 
Atlanta at New York Giants. <laughs> my my notes here say, is there a pair of teams that are harder to pin down than these two? <laughs> I just feel like it's the weirdest uh, combination of teams in terms of identity. You know, we picked this game to talk about because it's kind of a, a messy situation. They haven't really shown us a whole lot to like really know who they are. You know, at the beginning of the season, we got the the Giants defense that we were feeling pretty good to actually be pretty solid. Uh, you know, we got Daniel Jones as like producing as one of the you know top fantasy quarterbacks so far. And then obviously the continued kind of like wait and see with Saquon. While on the other side of the ball, we've got the Atlanta offense who we are super excited about in the offseason, drafting and best ball, all these things, but has really yet to perform to expectation. And on the other side of the ball, Dean Pease, who all of us, you know, in the, the football space are excited about as a coordinator, his defense still hasn't really come together. So who are these teams really Atlanta offense versus the New York Giants defense? Jess, I'm going to throw this one to you first here. Um, Matt Ryan's been struggling a little bit versus the Blitz, and New York Giants are bringing it at a pretty high rate so far this season. Use that as a starting point and take it where you want to go. All right, yeah. Um, I haven't really researched the pressure stuff on on this game yet. Uh, Looking at, like, statistics as far as pass versus run goes uh atlanta is passing at the eighth highest rate in the league right now they're throwing the ball 41 and a half times running at the eighth lowest 23 times per game um they're leading the league in the usage of 12 but what would you expect with arthur smith um he's got 50 half of their plays are coming out of 12 or 13 personnel so they are trying to keep tight ends in and and block and, and run heavy and stuff uh kind of I know they're there. I don't have much on Ryan here. I'm mean, most of my notes have to do with like Kyle Pitts and kind of some of the stuff like the what the defenses are allowing. Um, I I think this is another good spot for Pitts, especially without Gage. If he's out, I mean he's questionable right now. It, it pretty much limits them to Ridley Pitts and now Cordero Patterson. And even Mike Davis might show up in this one, but I mean, Pitts is the per true media. He's lined up in 11 different locations last week, 14 different spots on the field, as far as like where they're, they define each spot on the offense over the past two weeks, uh, Atlanta's averaging 5.3 yards per play with Pitts on the field and only 2.6 with him off the field. So he's going to be huge in this one. Uh, New York Giants have allowed 24 and a half and then 18.4 points to tight ends so far this year. And that was against Fanton Alberto and then uh, Logan Thomas. So uh, Pitts can play like those guys do. Uh, they're giving up 10 targets a game to tight ends. Uh, giants are just, they're getting worse as far as like DBA goes, ah, shit. I didn't put the right, <laughs> I didn't complete that note, but they were the, the fourth worst at something. <laughs> Sorry to leave. We know, we know they're bad. So <laughs> all we need to know, um, uh, fourth worst in the run. So they're getting worse and, and, stopping the run from last year. Yeah. yeah and they've allowed the most yards per drive 
and six most points per drive. So this, this matchup, basically you're taking an anemic Atlantic offense with a head coach coordinator who's not knowing when to call timeouts or really leverage game situations here and putting him against a defense that's kind of in the same WTF mode. So this could be really interesting from Atlanta's side to see what they're able to do with their offense against the the Giants defense here. Yeah, I'll jump in from where like where we started there. So just talked about uh, Atlanta having a high pass rate. I think that's definitely a little bit elevated just because of facing Philadelphia and Tampa, two teams that are mostly going to do that for, you know, every opposing quarterback. Uh, What we know about Arthur Smith is we expect him to tailor his offense to the guys he has, but we also know last year in Tennessee, that meant, you know, a lot of running with Derrick Henry and a lot of play action. I think this sets up better for that um, versus the giants than it did obviously versus Tampa and Philly. So I think that's definitely better for the run game. But I think that also could lead to some better efficiency from their past game um, where and before, you know, Ryan is having to drop back, you know, what was it like 46 times versus Tampa against heavy blitzing. So I think Atlanta's offense actually did better versus Tampa versus that blitzing because quarterbacks like Matt Ryan, these veteran quarterbacks tend to do better, you know, against that kind of pressure, whereas Philly was able to get pressure, you know, with four. So that's why I think they struggled more. I don't think the Giants, Giants have actually been getting a good amount of pressure as well, but they've been doing it through blitzing kind of like Tampa. So I actually think that's better for the Atlanta offense. Uh, Ridley, I wrote something about his performances as like road underdogs and pretty much it was either Ridley or Julio or Gage. One of them was putting up a big score as a, every time Atlanta was a road dog last year, uh, just because we got, you know, we have a bad Atlanta defense last year with an A, so it elevates their pass volume, which is obviously good for those receivers. So like Jess was saying, I think that's really good for Ridley and Pitts. The matchups, I mean, New York got torn up by Judy um, before he left her and then McLaurin went off on them the next week. So they've really struggled so far versus receivers in a way that they didn't last year with Bradbury. Um, So maybe that's small sample size. Maybe they're getting worse. Maybe it was, you know, last year was, you know, a mirage and, and they were never that, that good. So I, I think this sets up really well, like Jess was saying for those two guys, I mean, they're going to dominate targets, especially if Gage is out. We, we should expect high volume for both of those guys in a, you know, a good spot. Going to the running game, like I was saying before, I think this is definitely a better spot for Davis. He has more touches than I think people would think just because of how, you know, Patterson had those big plays last week. But Davis has, you know, 15 attempts, six targets, and nine attempts, seven targets. And those are both in kind of tough rushing matchups. So I I like the spot for Davis, actually, especially if he's getting overlooked. And if there's, a you know, if Pitts and Ridley start gaining some popularity throughout the week, then it might be a good way to hedge on those guys. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm definitely interested in this Atlanta offense as a whole. I, I think this is a pretty good spot for them. Uh, and a, it definitely, maybe they're overlooked after those two tough defenses they've faced the last two weeks. Yeah, I feel similarly in that I think it's a really interesting spot for those skill guys. It's a condensed offense, which we're always looking for in DFS. The thing I, I guess is like kind of, I'm kind of curious about is in this situation, like what will their offense look like in terms of, will they be a little bit more balanced with it? Are they going to stay like we're talking about pass rate? Uh, I would probably expect them to go a little bit down, but who knows? Uh, And I guess my, (laughs) my question for you guys is 
am I crazy to kind of want to play Davis, Ridley, and Pitts in the same lineup? I wouldn't say that's too crazy. I definitely want to get exposure to all three of those guys. Um, might be a good way to get leverage. Like it, one of the lineups that I did best with last week was I used a Tennessee Seattle stack and I only used Russ, but then I came back with Henry and Julio. So maybe doing something similar like a Daniel Jones with Davis and either Pitts or Ridley might work out. But all three, it, it, yeah, it's a condensed offense, especially if Gage is out, that, that can definitely work. And it's going to be a unique build to start with if that's where you're starting. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the most well-equipped to answer that kind of question, you know, at this time. But I do think, you know, as we'll get into New York's offense, I think that can at least be viewed in kind of that big game stack potential just because both offenses here have kind of some under-the-radar big score potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, with that, I think it's, it is interesting just from a, you know, who knows if I'll actually do that, but I just strikes me as kind of interesting given that, uh, you know, the targets, the three of those guys could see, or any two of those guys could see is, you know, probably pretty decent. So the floor and the ceiling is interesting to me. Pricing will obviously matter. The other part that will kind of lead us into the other side of the ball is if, uh, apparently, uh, I did see some chatter that Saquon might be kind of chalky this week. So if that were the case, could always stick him in that lineup. And then I would have the leverage from the, that unique kind of Atlanta side. So with that, let's jump into the giants offense and we'll just start there since I mentioned that, uh, apparently, uh, people are talking a little bit about Saquon because, you know, his, apparently his prices dropped and he, you know, he saw his elevated snap rate last week. How do we feel about the matchup? And is he, you know, is he a good play this week? Let's kind of move away from the chalk piece. Let's just talk about him in a vacuum right now. Um, Jess, thoughts? Yeah, I like him as a play this week. Uh, when I was doing that little DVOA study between last year and this year, Atlanta's rush DVOA has the second worst increase. So they're getting worse at stopping the run. Their defense is getting worse at everything, actually. And they they just haven't grasped P's system yet. And that could come because looking, I was looking at P's in the offseason. He typically gets you to improve his first year he's there. So at some point, this is going to turn around and Atlanta's going to get better. Uh, but if we're going with the trends right now, then yeah, Barkley's in a good spot. Uh, they're also allowing the second highest total target rate to running backs with 13 per game, 31% of targets against the giants are going to running backs. So he's in a good spot. He, he's going to be able to run and catch. And if that's what Garrett wants to call, then that's all he's going to need to do. If this type of defense shows up for Atlanta. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the idea that he's getting more popular. Um, that kind of annoys me, but um, it's definitely it's got to be encouraging that he went from 48% to 84% snaps despite it being a Thursday game. So like, not only was it, you know, that jump from one week to the next, it was on a, you know, a short rest. He also is coming off games against Denver and Washington. Like those are tough running, but tough running back matchups for everyone. So that's another reason why his performance has probably been a little bit down. He's getting more comfortable on his knee. Like just was everything just was saying about the ma- you know, the matchup itself. I agree with, like both backfields have already put up 40 plus receiving yards to the air. 
He's got 29 of the 40 running back touches so far, and I kind of expect that to keep going up. I just don't really think Devontae Booker is a guy they're going to take touches away from Saquon to give him to give to him. So I, I like the spot for him. I, I don't know if Atlanta's defense in week three is going to be where the, you know, where they're going to be at in week 10, week 15. So I, I do like the spot for Saquon. Definitely interesting. We've got Daniel Jones, who we, you know, we know has rushing ability and it's always kind of undervalued, uh, but he's shown that a bit. And just to throw the kind of like a high level in there too, the Falcons have given up 80 points through two games, but the Giants offense, uh, Lex, you had noted that they score less than 20 points, basically more often than not under Garrett. So what are we thinking about this offense as a whole and Daniel Jones, do we expect more of the same from him? Garrett and Jones are so inconsistent that it's hard to ever feel, you know, comfortable playing them, but, but like a game like last week, definitely at least encourages, you know, encourages you, gives you a little hope about the offense. They scored 29 in that game and could have had more if Slayton didn't drop that, you know, that open touchdown. So they have, you know, they've had, they have a lot of offensive potential. They've got great weapons. So I, I think the matchups, you know, the matchup itself, the weapons all set up great. Um, we just obviously have a long history now with Garrett as an underperforming offensive coordinator, but I like the spot. I think, I mean, Jalen hurts had a really nice rushing day for Atlanta, and they're different runners, but you know, they still gave up production on the ground to hurts and Jones is one of the quarterbacks who can also take advantage of that kind of thing. Uh, he's, he's got Galladay Shepard, uh, maybe a healthier Saquon. Evan Ingram might be back. Um, so they've got a lot of different ways they can attack this Atlanta defense. Um, I, I like the spot for Galladay and Slayton to hit deep. I mean, Evans just had two touchdowns. They, the miscommunication defenses are typically going to be more prone to those kind of splash plays. Uh, Galladay is coming off that, you know, that he's got that squeaky wheel narrative after the whole verbal altercation with the coach. So I, I, I mean, that's a narrative based thing, but it's still, you know, interesting to, to look at. Um, I, I like the spot a lot for this giants offense. I I'm, I've been keeping a close eye on that. Um, it's always hard to, you know, stomach putting Daniel Jones on a roster, but so far he's been a really good fantasy quarterback despite, you know, a tough Denver defense and, you know, at least a, you know, slightly above average Washington defense. And he's cleaned up his game. He had a uh, zero turnover turnover worthy plays last week, according to pro football focus. Uh, you got Atlanta might be down there, their best corner if AJ Terrell who left with a concussion last week, can't play. So that's going to be big for Galladay to get the, the squeaky wheel treatment there. Cause then you're forcing in your fourth and fifth round picks onto the field. Um, and you know, as far as Daniel Jones goes, Atlanta's allowed the most fantasy points to quarterbacks so far this year. So, I mean, they've, they've played some good ones, but it, it could work out for Daniel Jones this year and the, or this week and the the deep passing and that if Terrell is out. So it, it's definitely is a pretty sneaky, good spot for the giants pass offense here. It's just, you have Jason Garrett calling the plays. <laughs> I, I think I like Daniel Jones better in like stacks of this game than Matt Ryan on the other side, just because of the rushing, you know, upside that Jones offers. And, you know, you can basically get all of Ryan's points through Pitts and Ridley most likely. So I, I like kind of, you know, the fantasy upside that Jones brings. 
Yeah, I like this game for stacks. There's a lot of, of easy pieces to fit together as far as like ideas go, because they are kind of concentrated offenses, especially on Atlanta side. And then you got, yeah, the rushing quarterback on the New York side. So it's, it's a good little game stack to work with. Yeah. And Saquon obviously is a guy who can produce through the air. So while I don't know, I don't know how strong a correlation between him and Jones would be, it's not as you know negative as, you know, some running backs would be with their quarterbacks. Especially for small field play when you're don't have to hit those massive ceilings from each guy, you're kind of nice to play both guys in that spot because you're really kind of soaking up all the touchdowns then from both of them. So yeah, definitely an interesting spot. Uh, I think it could be interesting too, to allow us to have access to uh, some higher price, just guys we want to slide in there. Definitely an interesting game, despite these teams being kind of a mess. I think I think we kind of uh, did this, guys. I think we <laughs> think we hit everything in these spots. Any final thoughts, or are we ready to call it for the week? Uh, the only thing I'll, I'll add is if Ingram does come back, he's typically got a lot of targets from Daniel Jones in this offense. So I think the guy I'd be most worried about would be maybe Slayton loses a couple and maybe Shepard does too, just because of the, you know, they play in the similar spots with, you know, Shepard in the slot. So I, I think that is at least interesting to keep in mind. If Ingram does come back, I don't know how much he's going to be used right out of the get go, but he has got a big, you know, a large amount of targets in the past. And I think you had and mentioned your notes too, that Atlanta is giving up second most points to DK points to tight ends as well. So that's interesting. Yeah. That's what I was just about to say too. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, target wise, they're giving up nine and a half targets per game to tight ends, which is the fifth highest. So if Ingram comes back, he's stepping into some opportunity. Yep. So the targets will be there. We just have to wonder if he'll catch it or not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, guys, fun to jam on these games for yet another week. That's it for us, guys. Uh, it's a wrap. Feel free to hit me up on Discord at bfritz12. Uh, for Lex, for Jess, I'm Ben, and this has been the OWS First Peak Podcast. See you this week in Discord and at the top of the week, the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.